Matthew chapter 1, starting verse 18. It says, This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. I know at Christmas there's a lot of attention focused on Mary, and especially in the liturgical churches, but Joseph doesn't get enough credit. I mean, look at this. Before they came together, we all, we all know what that means, right? Before they came together, she was found pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And that's not good for Joseph. That's, that's not good. In this day and time, it's not favorable. In that day and time, it was uh, catastrophic. It goes on, verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But verse 20, but after he had considered this. I wonder how many things in your life would have turned out different if you had just stopped and thought about it and gave a chance for the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. How many times would things be different? Verse 20, but after he had considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place. <laughs> all this took place. Really, God, all this, all this stuff I've got weighing on me in my life, all this I've got to deal with, and you put a load of a purpose, such, such a big purpose on my life. I mean, I, I'm trying to start out a family with a new wife. All this took place in Joseph's life. All, all of the drama, all of the controversy, all of the confusion took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded and took Mary home as his wife. If this doesn't say all of his questions, this doesn't say all of his questions one way. That all of a sudden Joseph is just okay with everything. I just understand it. But after he considered that, Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded, and he took Mary home as his wife. You see, you don't have to feel something to have faith for something. You don't have to feel like doing it to have faith that you should do it. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. And I'm not sure how many of us guys could have done that. I'm not sure how many of us could have got past what other people were going to say or what other people were going to perceive, whether it be truth or not. But he took Mary home as his wife. It says, verse 25, but he did not consummate their marriage until he, she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. And then if I just back up one more time to verse 19 where it says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So I want, in this sermon leading up to Christmas Eve, to give you a little piece of advice for this Christmas and your life. I want you to expect chaos this Christmas. Expect chaos. 
title of the sermon is The Chaos of Christmas. Ken, thank you. Worship team, thank you. Expect chaos at Christmas. So I want you to turn next to the, turn to the person next to you and say, calm down. Calm yourself down and expect some chaos. Anyone else think that Christmas is overrated? I do. I mean, before you get all unnerved here and think your pastor does not understand the true meaning of Christmas, uh, I, I love the story Christmas. I, I love the message of Christmas. I love the real meaning of Christmas. But Christmas, at, I mean, especially Christmas as a child, I couldn't ask for any better. In fact, you know, um, there's other ki- there's plenty of kids in here, so we're going to briefly uh, mention this because I don't want to spoil anything. But, you know, I had... Uh, my parents decided they wanted to really make sure that I uh, believed in Santa Claus, I guess, when I was a kid, because uh, mom and dad hired a guy that dressed as a Santa Claus, and we were in a two-story house, but also had a full basement. And so um, my room was on the second floor, everybody else's bedroom was on the second floor, and there's just one staircase down, there's no other way up there. And um, so Christmas morning, we all came down, I'm sure I was in my footy pajamas or something like that at that age, and... And we came down, and, and we were getting ready for Christmas, and all of a sudden I hear this booming, ho, 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 ho. Now keep in mind, there's only so many men in my life in the family. Then my brother-in-law, who I don't think he was my brother-in-law yet, I think he might have been there for Christmas, maybe dating Cindy. I don't think they were married yet. Um, my brother and sister, who were still, I think, teens. And uh, so my mom and dad, and so I'm sitting there in the living room, and I hear that and realize I'm hearing it from upstairs, and I begin to get a little worried. Next thing I see is these shiny boots coming down the steps. Ho, ho, ho. And just stomping down the steps. And I look around the room. I'm thinking, there's Dad. There's Jim. And there's Ron. So who's this guy? And fear gripped my heart. And I took off running. And Mom and Dad said, I ran around the kitchen table, ducking, ran down the stairs, and hid in the basement. <laughs> I was terrified. Well, I wasn't buying it. I wasn't believing it. I wasn't believing that there was Santa Claus. I was stressing uh, about it. Uh, and they had a little trick uh, they pulled on me because my grandmother and grandpa lived in Tulsa, Oklahoma, 11 hours away. And they didn't come there very often. We went to visit them very few times, but loved them. But he brings me this present that says it's from Tulsa, Oklahoma, from Grandma and Grandpa Ranji. And inside was my first puppy, my first dog. And I looked at him and I said, it is Santa. <laughs> well, anyway, you know, I can't complain about my growing up. You know, um, I've told y'all I don't try to push uh, how we live out our faith, uh, you know, in certain areas that people consider gray areas. Uh, my family, we don't ce- celebrate Halloween. We don't even do anything on the date in place of, and I'm not against churches. I grew up in churches where we did that. We did trunk or treat or harvest festival to try to reach people. But but we made a decision in our family. I don't know, it was a personal conviction. We just didn't. And, and then, um, you know, uh, so there's certain things I'll just say since we have other kids in here. There's There's certain things about this holiday that we don't, observe ourselves either we we focus on the christ of christmas the the true story of christ and what it tell what we learn from it and so that's what i mean by christmas is overrated i mean when when it's 
they're, they're barely getting done with one holiday and you see them setting them in the store for the next and it's all about the stuff, right? It's about the decorations. It's about the presents. It's about more about the um, commerce of the holiday than it is the true meaning. What actually happened in cultural terms, I would say, we have sanitized the salvation process. We have commercialized the salvation process because Christmas is as much about our salvation as Easter is. We've done it to the point that it doesn't even resemble the revelation we see in Scripture. For example, uh, they're, they're, they're reflected in the songs we sing at Christmas. Now, I don't know how many grew up Christmas caroling. I love Christmas songs, especially the biblically-based ones. Don't have a problem. But don't get me wrong, I like Christmas songs, they're beautiful, love them all, sing them all, they're great, they're wonderful, but Jesus cried in the manger. Some of you are looking at me like, where do you find that? Well, I'm just going to tell you, I know that it says, away in the manger, no crib for a bed, the little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head, but I've had three babies in the house. And they were born in hospitals in climate-controlled areas, very clean and, and sanitized and very nice and designed to try to make it as comfortable for the baby. Jesus was born in a manger, in a stable next to animals, laying in swallowing clothes on hay. He's still a baby, right? Jesus was fully God and fully man. I mean, I would have supposed he'd be screaming, laying next to the animals. And don't even try to tell me he laid on the straw, comfortable, and didn't try to scream. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was screaming his head off. And I'm sure Mary was too. You know why Mary was screaming? Because Mary was screaming for Joseph because, at Joseph because making her ride on a donkey that much pregnant all the way to go take this census and not having the foresight to book a hotel in advance. Now, I learned early in my marriage at first, I was like, it's an adventure. We just take off and go somewhere, and we'll find out if, you know, we'll just find a place to stay on the way. And then at 2 in the morning, when you realize you happen to go to the place that having some festival or some convention, and there's not many places to stay, and you're driving way uh, further. Um, so we learned. You make reservations in advance. The song sings, all is calm. What Christmas planet are people from when they think about that? The, the true story of Christmas, really, we have sanitized it because there is a lot of chaos going on. From what Joseph endured, I, I mean, there's a lot more to it we'll get in. But it just goes to show me the one that wrote those hymns, maybe they didn't have kids. I mean, I was never in a manger in a non-climate-controlled environment with animals and their smells all around. And then some of you have different experience with Christmas. Maybe your experience with Christmas weren't good either because maybe it wasn't your family but the extended family that comes to visit, right? I know there's a few older movies from the 80s, 90s that, you know, where, that they make fun of when the in-laws and the other family members come, right? And it's chaos, you know? Um, I, I've, I've heard horror stories, it's always interesting when you bring all these different families and these different cultures into the home for a holiday when you're trying to make it picture perfect, right? Real Christmas. I mean, all is not always calm, is it? All is not always right, is it? Maybe your Christmases were chaotic. I mean, real Christmas, what is that? It's all depending on the frame of reference you have, what real Christmas is. 
Real Christmas is where your expectations collide with your reality. I've talked about this so many times. Do you know that expectations are really uh, the root of many of our problems with dealing with, with life? Whether you're Christian or not. It's kind of like if you go into the DMV expecting to be there five minutes, guess what your blood pressure and your frustration level will be when you leave there because you expected wrong. Right? I mean, think about, think about the, the, the expectation that, you know, marriage is going to be bliss no matter how long you're married. Every day. 24-7, right? Mine is, but that's different. Because my wife is sitting up here. <laughs> but that's really the problem, isn't it? It's when our expectations collide with our reality. The problem is the people in our lives don't read the script of how we think sh- things should be or how we're supposed to act or, or make our Christmas what we, we think it ought to be. It's like every year there's a tradition. My mom has the grandkids dress up with towels on their heads and different things to do uh, the nativity scene, right? Andrew, you've been a part of that. And, and uh, so, um, we, you know, that's, that's what they do, and they do the story. Now, that's all great, fun, and everything for the adults. It's cute, right? But when you're a brother and your sister is Mary and you have to play Joseph, right? And she's loving playing household and the baby doll, but you're hating it. It's all in perception, right? It's a, it's a perception. It's when our reality meets our expectations the brother just wants to get to the presence he doesn't want to play house play the christmas story i mean if we could all just get on the same page and and all take their places and fall on the mark we could have a good christmas right so turn to your neighbor and say uh, christmas could be perfect if you do it my way Most of us have a scene in our mind what's perfect. You know, I was even looking at my sister's posts. Um, they have a beautiful home. They really do. Uh, it's a, it's a, they build, I can't remember how many years ago, but beautiful, big, great room. And uh, they actually gave us, when we built our house, we barely had enough room for their 12-foot tree in our room. And to me, bigger's better. And they got tired of decorating. I said, give me the 12-foot tree. We'll take it. And so we have the, I think it's 12, right? 12-foot tree. And so they went smaller, but they, they decorated. And, and I don't know if she used a special thing on her phone to get the little bit of glow, you know, with candles and lights and the whole Christmas atmosphere. But you get on, uh, was it Pinterest or Instagram or whatever, and, and you see this picture-perfect idea. Everybody's home looks like it's back in the days of the Cleavers, right, at Christmas time. Our home is so perfect now. Look at the holiday cheer, and, and we're, we're just an all-American Christmas here. The trees, the lights, the candles, the holiday mood. But it, it doesn't, this doesn't just go for Christmas. It goes for what we want our Monday to look like, our Tuesday, our Wednesday, so on and so forth. We want our life to look like. A lot of people start with expectations. I'm going to have the perfect husband, you know, 2.5 kids, one, you know, one on the way, and, and we're going to have the perfect house, picket fence, the whole thing. I mean, it, it, we start out life with these ideals, we get this imagination, we try to make it our reality, but, but what do you do when your ideal collides with the real? What do you do when your expectations are dashed because your real doesn't match up with the ideal? 
and what you pictured Christmas would look like when your, your memories of how it was now collide with how it is. It's the same as someone coming into this church who grew up in the country church where it was all hymns, right? My ideal church may not match up with the real of where God wants me. Maybe he's trying to stretch me or grow me or get me to understand that things don't always have to be the way I want it. Or it could be reversed. It could be someone coming from a large church where it's very trendy and we're old-fashioned here to them. It's all perspective. It depends on how you see it. This could be when, it, when your memories of how it was now collide with how it is for Christmas. It could be empty seats at the table. You'd hoped years ago that every one of your kids would always respect you and always want to be there and attitudes or problems have stepped in and now there's an empty seat at the table and it's heartbreaking. Relationships that won't resolve. And I'm not saying Christmas is overrated in the spirit of the true story of what really happened, what really exists. I'm just saying I think we have downplayed the drama of, of what really happened to create the first Christmas. That we're, we are disappointed to the extent that we create a perfect manger scene because we're trying to manage the scene of reality that exists in real life. And, and when, we compare, when we compare our lives to all is calm and we look at our own life, we see all is not calm. All is chaotic. And then we feel like we can't really relate to the Christmas story because it just seems too perfect in our nativity scene. I want to talk to you about two dynamics today that, that briefly that impact our Christmas. And I believe will help you this Christmas to maybe set the right expectations and maybe be able to see the benefit of the chaos of Christmas. What I want to say about the chaos of Christmas is really, really simple. Number one, embrace it. Embrace the chaos. Now, I, I talk too much sometimes about the military examples because, you know, I'm kind of hu uh, hung on that and everything. But, but I really like some of the sayings in it. And, and I'm going to have to say a word that my mom will not approve of, but uh, in our generation it's no longer a, you know, a bad word. But um, embrace the suck. That's what they say. When life sucks, embrace it. I'm feeling warm. I can feel the radiation coming from the back. My mom is using her laser beams on me um, like she used to do from the piano when I was a kid in church. But, but that, that is the saying. And, and the idea is that it's not that you like when things are hard. It's, it's not that anybody in their right mind would just say, hey, bring it on. Give me, you know, make, just make life terrible. It's saying those things which are out of your control, they're, they're bad. Embrace them because the thing is, they're there anyway. And the more you fight it, you have expectations that it's not going to be that way. Then it's going to be harder for your life. It's just like going through life thinking you'll never be sick. If you go through life saying, I'll never be sick. When you get sick, what happens? You're crushed. I thought this was never supposed to happen to me. And you'll hear people say that. I don't understand. I should never be sick. But we live in a world of sickness. Now listen, when I said embrace, when I said embrace it, embrace the chaos, I didn't say create it. There's a difference between embracing it and creating it. Some people create their own chaos. And, and, and I don't believe chaos should be a lifestyle, but some, some have that opinion, I think, stuck in their head that life should be chaos. And if you don't have chaos, I'm bored. 
I've known people where it's just like they, they have to have chaos in their life, it seems, and they want everybody else to fix it, but then when the chaos is gone, they find another way to create some more chaos. But in certain seasons of your life, chaos is inevitable. And those seasons, in those seasons, embrace it. Embrace it. I, I can't remember what it was recently. I'm trying to think. Um, I told my wife, I said, boy, if this thing had happened two years ago, I, I can finally see where God's helped me grow because if this one thing had happened two years ago, I would be so depressed, I wouldn't be able to hardly handle it. I'd be not really just depressed, but so upset. You just start to embrace the chaos. I think the example I've used before is when we were on our anniversary and we just really needed a couple days or a day to ourselves and we were in Branson and you know the van transmission had just gone out and then the car overheats while we're in Branson. And I'm like calling the Enterprise, like getting a car lined up and I said, you know what, let's just go in and get a, a drink at the gas station. But I would have been fuming a couple years ago and let it ruin my time with my wife. And I said, ah, we'll have fun. We'll get a rental car, whatever. If we have to get this thing carted back home on a tow truck, whatever, but we're going to have fun. And, and that was just embracing the chaos. I was so desperate. I was so desperate just to have a little bit of relief in my life and have some enjoyable time with my wife that I'm like, the chaos doesn't matter. The Bible says that after Joseph had considered this, the chaos of what the situation was, he took Mary home to be his wife. And when he took her home, he took along with him all of the circulating chaos around the situation, all the scandal, all the criticism that would accompany his decision. He took home with him. To be with a woman who by all natural explanation, hear me out, natural explanation, could only be that she was unfaithful to him. It didn't matter that that wasn't the truth, that she wasn't unfaithful to him. It, it was the fact that everyone who saw them would believe that culturally. A woman who during the time of betrothal had shown up pregnant. And Matthew, uh, in, uh, the author, does something interesting to help us with this. Because in order to embrace the chaos, you always need the second thing, the second dynamic. I want you to remember this Christmas is context. Matthew helps us by giving us a little context. First, we understand embrace the chaos. Now, we need context. Matthew's writing to a Jewish, Jewish audience who you've got to understand that from birth they're hearing about the coming Messiah and they know about the lineage of the coming Messiah. So they're just like everybody that says, oh, the world's going to end in 2012. Jesus is coming back. 88 reasons Jesus has come back in 1988. All those things that people we do, believers and unbelievers like, to try to predict what's about to happen, they are looking. And so Matthew knows that they are looking for the lineage of the Messiah. And Matthew takes time to explain before he actually tells the story of the birth, Matthew starts his writing establishing context. Because the context is so important. You think about the chaos that surrounds politics. Most of the chaos surrounding politics is because information goes out, out of context. And people take it as that's what it is. And so it just spreads rumors and falsehood and then it uh, causes turmoil. So context is so important. And this is, by the way, we've mentioned several times how the enemy, clear back to the beginning in the Garden of Eden, got the first man and woman in trouble is out of taking things out of context. God says, you can eat of all the trees except this one because they do you harm. 
And the devil comes and says, did he say you couldn't eat of all these trees? That's not what God said. God had just said, "There's here, I'm giving some permission, lots of permission. I'm just giving you a boundary. And Satan wanted to take that out of context so that danger would come. And so that's, that's what we run into. The enemy always knows if he can divorce you from your destiny, if he can get you to hear God out of context, he can destroy your purpose God has for you. If he can get you, if he can divorce you from your destiny, if he can get you to hear God out of context, he can destroy your purpose. This message really could be titled, Let's Keep Christmas in Context, but that's not what we titled it. And let's remember that King Herod was trying to have all the young boys under the age of two killed at the time Jesus was born. Oh, holy night, silent night. Beautiful, peaceful, right? Sweet baby Jesus laying his head in a manger. No, this was no place but the inn. This was a king who was on a search to kill him. This was that they had to go for the census. They were in a hot, terrible situation. It was, it was not, oh, peaceful night. Maybe holy night because of the purpose, but, but not peaceful. I mean, listen to this. If you ever visit Israel, what I understand is if you, get, if you go to Israel and you say to a local person, uh, Israeli, I'd like to go to Bethlehem for vacation, they would laugh at you and say, that's a ghetto. You don't want to go there for vacation. Maybe stop through so you can see it, you know, but, but you don't want to stay there. It's a beautiful place, but it's no place you'd want to visit on your itinerary for vacation because, you know, God is born into a context that people reject. We see it all through Scripture that, that God places His Son in a whole context, a world of context that, where He will be rejected. He was born into a place that people reject. Jesus was born to a virgin, to a Palestinian girl that... that that is the context of your faith that when Matthew says Abraham, who begot Isaac, who begot Jacob, who begot Joseph, you might try to skip over that stuff, but you go back and read it, and the whole context is that Jesus came through a lineage of murderers, fugitives, liars, and backstabbers. They aren't particularly have the corner in the market on that. I'm just saying that he was born through a lineage of sinners because everyone but Jesus had sinned. One woman who's mentioned in the context of Christmas is a prostitute. So before you look down your nose this Christmas on anyone in your family or others because they don't seem to have their act together because their life seems to be in chaos, you better remember the context of Christmas, that Christ came into a world through sinners, for sinners, and that we're all one of them. That we're all sinners. So context is everything. Context is also helpful in determining how... Someone is committed, wouldn't you say? I think about a lot of the stories of very, very successful people that, that it's hard to understand why they work the long hours. Why, do you, why are you so driven? Why do you sacrifice so much and, and to get to where you're at? But a lot of times if you hear their backstory, the context of their life, you'll come to some point where their life was in such chaos that they went through a season of such struggle that they had determined at some point they'd never go back there again. 
Dave Ramsey talks about the fact that he can't eat tuna fish to this day because when they were broke and he was stressed because uh, he was going bankrupt and all this stuff was going wrong, that's all they could afford is tuna fish. So now tuna fish tastes like failure. And that's the truth. And so if you don't get a little backstory to understand the baby in the manger, you miss who he is. Matthew says this is how it happened. He doesn't say, did God drop baby Jesus down from heaven in a handcrafted box? Did God put him behind glass and drop him from the clouds, keeping him untouchable? No, no, this is what Matthew says. In chaos and confusion, through the lineage of sinners, most of the, most of the successful people, uh, just like Jesus, went through such a difficult, chaotic season that now they are driven by their desire to never have to go back there again. Jesus, we put a lot of emphasis, as we should, as him going through what he did on the cross and enduring that for our sins. But you got to think, he walked the life of a man, from a child to, to, to a man, and he understood, wow, this world is tough. He understands. He did that. He, he understands what you go through. And, and so the season of his life that he went through, experiencing what he did, helped also prepare him to go to the cross. Some of you will have to understand that you can never be successful until you've struggled. And let me tell you, everyone thinks that they've struggled in their own mind, but we really don't know that we've struggled until we've passed through the struggle. In other words, I've said this many times, God doesn't fail you at tests. He just keeps giving you the test over and over until you pass. And so many times we'll be, oh, woe is me. Boy, my life has been tough and everything. But it's all in context, right? Because I look at someone who maybe has never been able to walk. And I think how much I've accomplished just for the fact that I can walk and the struggle they've had. See, my struggles, my struggles are all about perspective because until I've gotten to the point where I can say, God, no matter what you send my way, I'm going to serve you anyway. No matter how terrible it gets, like Job, no matter, no matter if my wife tells me to curse you and die like Job's wife, I'm going to serve you anyway. It's all about the context and how we see what God has brought us here to accomplish, what he brought his son here to accomplish. The end of your struggle is when you pass the test. The end of your struggle is when you pass the test. How someone who, who is battling cancer can say, well, I wish I could get up on that roof and help you. If you don't have the context for what success looks like yet, why would, give, would God give you success? In other words, if, if he's going to trust you with something, he's going to make sure that you know what to do with it. And if you haven't yet, if you haven't yet found the context for what success looks like, why would God give you success? It, it's just like even though they're not all believers, but you hear the story about people win the lottery. And we joke, well, I wish I could win the lottery. Now, I don't play, but, you know, we all wish we could just get a bunch of money that way, right? But you watch the, the documentary they do, and very, very few, I can't remember how many they did, like 10 to 20 or something like that, or 50 that won the lottery, maybe only one that didn't ruin their life. They didn't end up broke in worse trouble than when they had the money, when they first got the money. So if you don't have the context for what success looks like yet, why would God give you success? God's not going to drop blessing on someone who has never been in a barn. 
It's the same concept. It's God principles. It's just like why it stinks to some people if you see people who are eating who never work for it. Who have never done anything for what has been provided to them. It stinks to high heaven around everybody that's around it. They're like, I don't understand. I, I'm working for what I, I'm providing. I'm doing what... So let me try this again. I said your struggle today is a setup for potential for f- success tomorrow. The struggle you have today is your setup for your success tomorrow. But you have to go through some stuff in the cradle before you can get to the cross. Jesus was setting an example. It wasn't rosy how he came into this world, and it wasn't rosy how he came out. He's saying, listen, if you set your expectations that your life is just going to be a bowl of cherries, then that's, your, that's what your, your struggle is in your relationship with me. You got the wrong expectations. You should expect chaos. I've already told you that you'll be persecuted for my name's sake. I've already told you the things that you'll endure because of my name's sake. Sometimes we wear the badge of Christianity to the world as if come convert to Christianity and be one of us because our lives are so much better than yours. No, often our lives are tougher because we can't resort to the same non-ethical standards that the world does to accomplish what they do. We're, we're held to a higher standard. So no, telling people that you're going to come to be a Christian and your life is going to be so much better, it's not your life here will be better, it's the eternal rewards that are better than what you have at death. It's all about eternity. And we're losing that sometimes in spreading the gospel that it's all about eternity. This is but a breath here. You have to establish context. Context can help you understand someone's celebration. There will be people at this Christmas time who will be happy getting less than you get. Why is that? Why would they be happy getting less than you get? It's because their context is they've never had that before. It's the same kind of envy we may feel when we hear about a, a family wealthier than we hear what their kids got for Christmas. We're like, wow, it must be nice to be able to get your kids that. Or it must be nice to, you know, be getting this or that for Christmas. I jokingly ask for things all the time I know I'm not going to get. I ask for expensive guns that I know I'm not going to get. It's not in the budget. There are some kids who will cry overjoyed over a toy that another child would turn their nose up at. There may be people next to you that are loud in their worship and that annoy you, but if you understood the context, you might get loud too. Maybe they didn't think they would live to their next birthday, but the God stepped in some kind of way, somehow, and they're celebrating Him. And, and if you understood the context of why they're loud and they're celebrating their worship, maybe it would spur you to be loud and celebrate too. But Christmas is God stepping into humanity and giving us a context for compassion. That he would breathe your air. That he would take your sin. That he would take your shame. That he would walk this earth. That he would take your struggle. It's easy to criticize someone whose context you have never experienced. You will never make the worst relational decisions of your life. You'll, you'll make the worst relational decision of life when you see things out of context. You may spend years loving someone and, and caring for them and being in a, in a committed relationship to them. But they say something that just seems to hurt so much, and you'll let that one thing cause separation for the rest of your life. It's because of the context. 
We can't see that, that that one thing, or maybe they're going through a struggle and we can't see past the last few months and we'll be ready to scrap 10 years of relationship over that one thing. But let me tell you this. I'm just saying maybe you need to put your current situation in life into context because the enemy would like nothing more than to make you see things out of context. What if God did that with us? That every time we said something that, that was hurtful or we did something that, that disappointed him, what if every time we, we did that, God was done with us? What if he cut off the relationship every time we make a mistake? You have to remember, God saved the world from a stable. Next time you're, the enemy tries to make you think something seems small and insignificant like a relationship, I can just toss that away because, because really I don't need it. If they're going to be that way, I just don't need them. And we see it insignificant. The enemy would love us to see other people and souls as insignificant. But you have to remember that nothing is too small for God. Nothing is too insignificant for God. The context of your faith is that your Savior came from a stall. He came from humble beginnings. And he went out being treated as a criminal. So before we write people off, whether they're believers or unbelievers, I can't stand the left side of the politics, or I can't, I can't take those people, or I can't take their views, or I can't take that. Do you understand that, that God loves them too? It's all in the context of how we see the world. Do we see it as God sees it? The chaos of Christmas. So I'm going to challenge you, when you get together with your family, if you want Jesus to reign in your home this Christmas, if you want Jesus to be the one shining over all the cultural things, like I mentioned in the beginning, you know the whole thing with mom and dad and, 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 and hiring the guy to come in and say, you know, funny games, but the truth is that the culture we live in will do everything it can because Satan is trying to run the culture to draw our attention away from the, the true meaning of Christmas. And it's chaos. Not chaos in the sense of what the devil creates, but it's chaos. We expect that we're going to come together and we're going to have that Norman Rockwell picture-perfect Christmas, right? But be ready. When the enemy tries to get a foothold in your family, you speak to that with the Word of God. Just like Jesus did this storm. Peace be still. Maybe you don't say it out loud because that might be a little weird for your family. Maybe there's not believers and everybody's starting to argue and you just blurt out, peace be still. That might... That might cause more chaos, but, but what I'm saying is, is if you want Christ to be Lord of this season for you, this Christmas, then set your expectations right. He came in expecting there to be chaos. Look at this opportunity with your family and friends this Christmas as I'm coming as a minister of the gospel, not as wanting everybody to play their part and make my Christmas what I expect it to be. But I'm here to minister I'll tell you one, one last example. My mother-in-law and father, father-in-law are about to come visit. And I can't think it was a couple years ago, wasn't it? We, we had spent their time there and, and uh, kids were loaded. The car's running. We're ready to go. And all of a sudden, uh, Jen's dad started just kind of sharing some things on his heart and broke. And we sat there probably for another hour and a half. And when we got in the car and started driving, I said, Jen, we're, we're not their kids anymore. We're pastors. And so we just got to realize that wherever we go, it doesn't matter, family, whatever, that's what we are. We're ministers of the gospel. It's not a, you know, this is my safe zone to not have to have the responsibility of, of spreading God's love and his hope 
that even those who taught us to believe, even those who taught us to believe at times, if we have the right expectation, we realize they have chaos too. And we have to be ready to minister that. So I'm not trying to run anybody's idea of how your Christmas is going to be. I know we're thinking about the smells of the pies and the, and the lights and the gifts and all that. And the world will try to sell you a lot with the, you know, all the commercial stuff. But the truth is, God's been investing in you here. Not just through me, but through each other. God's invested his word in your heart so that you might not sin against him. He's invested his word in your heart that you might be able to spread that hope. And you have a chance that if there's chaos in your family, don't hide and tuck and, and try to just pretend it goes away. But reach out and minister to those in your home this Christmas holiday. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you, Lord, that, that while it seems a strange approach to talk about chaos for Christmas and for it to still be a positive thing, Lord, we know that from your word that we see the way you entered, Jesus, the way you left this earth, the way that you have spoken to us, God, that, that many times we, we get ourselves in the wrong frame of mind because we have the wrong expectations, that, God, we have to understand that we, we don't have these safe zones as the world is trying to prepare. We don't have these places where the enemy won't attack. We don't have uh, family members that are beyond uh, 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 attack, Lord. Even this Christmas, Lord, we have to be ready always in season and out of season, Lord, because... Lord, your word is powerful. And as we are letting your word in our hearts, God, it's going to end up causing confrontation in certain situations. I pray for those who maybe already know they're anticipating there may be difficulty in their Christmas because of family members or extended family who, who are difficult or challenging them in their faith or, or trying to cause disruption. And Lord, they're almost dreading that person. Lord, I pray right now that you help them change the context Help them see that if, if they are that much of a struggle, then very possibly, more than likely, if they looked at the context of life, there's some struggle going on that they need ministered to. That God, even the smallest of children to the oldest and, and elderly in our families, God, that, that listen, there, there's things that they may be struggling with and you have the truth of God's word and you have the Holy Spirit living in you and you can turn their Christmas around, not just Christmas, but you can turn their life around through the power of God and his word. Don't get fooled by this picture-perfect life being sold by this world that we're not going to go through struggles. Keep your chin up, keep your head up, keep your eyes on heaven. Keep your eyes on Christ and meet the challenge head on and say if my Savior the context of how he saved me could be that he started in a manger and ended on the cross then I can handle whatever comes my way because he has given me the strength he, his, he lives in me and his power is in me and I will not let the devil take my family. I will not let the devil take relationships from me. I will not toss relationships aside over, over small things. I will not get so closed-minded that at, at a moment, just of a moment of passion, that I will shut someone out or discount what they have to say because, because it's hurtful or I, or I feel like that they're trying to damage me. But I... I will endure and understand that Jesus, what you endure, that we offer that kind of grace to those around us. 
that we don't become so judgmental looking down our nose at others that we, we feel too good to be, to be a, attached to them. But again, Jesus, we love them just the same as you loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you all, and uh, I hope to see you. We are having Wednesday night services the next couple weeks, and we are also having a Christmas Eve service, and I believe we're doing that at are we 10. We are doing that at 10, and combined service. We know that there will be some traveling, so uh, generally that's a lighter service, but come and enjoy a good time of worship and God's word on Christmas Eve with your family. God bless you.